HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. I do my show on the Heritage Radio Network because I think it's important to talk about the impact of technology on our lives. I do my show to reach home cooks and help them do better. I love getting together with people in the industry. I like hosting my show because, to me, it's the stories about people and their relationship to food that help make the food more interesting and more delicious. Our hosts do their shows as a labor of love, but we still need your financial support in order to keep the lights on and keep the tape rolling. Please become a member today at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Every year we get to do a special episode of Cutting the Curd featuring one of our all-time favorite guests, Jason Hines, uh, sales director at Neil's Yard Dairy, co-founder of both the Essex Street Cheese Company and the founder of Borough Cheese Company, um, and British cheese expert, and a good friend of mine. So uh, welcome to uh, the show, Jason, Great, as you are always here. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, man. It's nice to see you, too. Um, Every time that you're here, I'm, I learn something new, uh, and that's one of the best things about doing the show um, for me, and it's a selfish thing, but I get to learn, um, and you know, you ask the right questions, you get the right answers, you know what I mean? We answer, please. <laughs> so, hello to everyone, and welcome to Cutting the Curtain, the Heritage Radio Network. This is Greg Blaze. Today we're talking to Jason about how to effectively sell cheese, and what he thinks matters when curating cheeses for a counter. So let's start with selling cheese. Jason, what's the number one thing a cheesemonger should keep in mind each day when he or she sells cheese? Um, I think there are, you have to break down cheesemongering into two things, the work and the tasks. Okay. Um, so what do I mean by that? Well, for me, uh, there are many things that occupy our day when we're mongering cheese. You know, things like... Are there enough people on the schedule? Will they show up on time? No, I know. I know that's a topical thing for you today. <laughs> um, 
there are also things like cleaning tasks and, um, yeah. and all those kinds of duties. And these are all very important and very necessary to run sure. an effective cheese shop. Um, but for me, the, the most important thing is to um, engage with the cheese uh, uh, when you begin your day um, in such a way that you really understand what it is that you're going to have to sell. How does it look? How does it taste? Is it the right temperature? Um, how are the cheeses tasting compared to how they tasted yesterday? How is that compared to how they were tasting last, last week and the weeks before? Um, because I believe that um, if the cheesemonger has got in their guts um, uh, a is very... That, a is very, that work or tasks? That's, so that's the work. That's the right. work. The tasks are all the essential, but I would say peripheral things to that to the to the most important um, the most important uh, um, part of the cheesemonger's day, which is their work, which is making sure that um, the priority is taken care of, which is to taste the cheese that day before the customers come through the door to understand what you think tastes good. Right. Um, and I think that's often um, the tasks can can get ahead of the work. So, in other words, you think, well, I've got so much to do today that sometimes the, the business of understanding what it is that you have to sell is not necessarily ever arrived at. I agree uh, with that. And I think, that's, um, I think that um, the priorities need to be, um, be organised such that uh, the cheesemonger understands that in order to be successful in his or her work, that um, that is made the utmost priority is to understand how the cheese tastes. So your work is to sell the cheese in the right condition. Your work, your work is to understand how the cheese is. So, um, by, so let, let's, just, let's just drill down into um, how it looks on our cheese counter, because um, it's the one that I'm the most familiar with. The Niels Yard Dairy counter. Correct. And so um, uh, if, if the cheesemonger that's working that day is to be truly successful in their work, then they will take time at the beginning of their shift to taste through some or all of the cheeses that we have to sell. Now, I understand that there are many cheese counters that have a, um, an enormous number of cheeses to sell. Uh, we are in the fortunate position that we have maybe 60. Um, so uh, I wouldn't always taste all 60 because some cheeses I know are the same batches as the ones that I sold yesterday. But what if you sell all 60 in one day, all 60 times? Do you consider that, it a failure of the cheesemonger that they haven't gone through? Is one of their tasks to go through? I mean, what is it their work to go through and make sure that all sixty are perfect? And are all sixty ever perfect? No, it's no, it's not. It's not about them being perfect. Saleable. It's about understanding how they taste. Or just they where say. they are. So, so when I when I say when I say um, uh, know how this cheese that that you're tasting today compares to how the cheese was. That you know that, that that same type of cheese. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, it's Montgomery's cheddar. Uh-huh. How does the one that's in front of you today, that yeah. batch that you're cutting, compare with the one that you were selling this time last sure. week or the week before? Because for the customer that's coming in may have come in and last bought the cheese two weeks before. Chances are, in our shop, because we sell that particular cheese very quickly, uh, not chances are, it's a guarantee that the cheese, the batch that they will buy this time and taste. Okay. 
will not be the same batch. Therefore, it will not taste the same. It will have a slightly different profile. It won't be wildly different. But it'll be a little but different. If, yeah, but it might be. Maybe it's maybe it's um, not quite as interesting, or maybe it's got a different character to the cheese. That but they, they need to know that. They, they, they have to know that. They have to. Um, uh, they don't have to know what it was like compared to the last thing. They just need to know in their head where that ranks in the other sure. cheeses that they've got to sell today. Sure. And where does that Montgomery's cheddar rank? in the context of the other cheddars that we have to sell today. And there might be other cheesemongers with different opinions. It's not what are the tasks, I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you for a second, what are the tasks that stop them from doing that most important work? What are the tasks of the cheesemonger? So, you said that there's work, but that's the important, that's the important stuff. Correct. But there are tasks that get in the way. Yeah. What gets in the way? Well, it, it not, doesn't get in the way, it just needs to be done. The, things that, the other things that need to be done will be um, you know, practical things. A lot of cleaning. Right. You know, to run an effective cheese shop, there's an awful lot of cleaning that needs to be done. Simple retail stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, and it, you know, there are some mongers who, you know, maybe are not. The, 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 you know, so maybe some managers have got more of those tasks to do than some mongers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I guess the point is that if the culture is not one where it's recognised that it's very important to understand how that cheese that's in front of you right. today tastes. Right. Then you will be a less effective cheese right. If you but, but if your sanitizer is right on, you know, yeah. if, if it's right in the right spot, yeah. oh shit, you're doing great. Yeah, <laughs> and I agree with that. But, I mean, what, but you know, other examples of tasks: temperature recording, yeah, yeah, scraping yeah. of cheese, yeah, yeah, facing yeah. cheeses. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. there is a lot of all of this to do, um, and it's important that it's done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in order to be an effective cheesemonger, if yeah. you do not understand how the cheese in front of you tastes fully, and you know where it's come from. You may know some anecdotes or stories about where it's come from, and that might help you to sell the cheese. But ultimately, how that cheese tastes today um, and whether your customer likes that or not is is something that you need to be on top of. I I couldn't agree with you more. One of the most important parts of the job is sampling the cheese to the customer. Mm Um, so that they can under, they can understand the flavor. What's the most effective way to do that? So sampling, you know, um, we've been visiting a number of cheese shops um, over the course of the last week, and it's amazing how different the cheeses are in terms of their, how they're kept, the temperatures they're kept at. Some yeah. some are really embalmed in Saran, some are less embalmed in yeah. Saran. Um, uh, you know, the way that you sample that cheese whether you sample it on a knife, whether you sample it on a, on a, on a cheese plane. Whether you put a pile of it out there. Uh, whether you, if you, yeah, so that, you know, if you want to, if you want to feed the, you know, the Grey's Brigade. Yeah, they're um, there. Which is not a strategy that, that, um, that, you know, that I embrace. Me neither. Uh, um, you know, if you use, a, if you use a cheese plane, you have a very fine shaving. Yeah. Um, and certain cheeses don't like that. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of the cheese plane. I think all the cheese planes in the world should be gathered and <laughs> melted down I into agree. one giant cheese plane. Yeah. And then that cheese plane should be taken out into the ocean yeah. and thrown into the fucking middle of the ocean. I don't feel quite as strongly as you, but I'm not far behind. <laughs> um, you know, and then, and where, and how does that cheese, bit of cheese taste? Has it come from just under the plastic? Yeah. You know, uh, again, second part, layer tastings are good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Part of the culture, part of the culture um, that we have, which um, I think is a solid one, but not always possible in everyone's environment, is to have a taste of the cheese at the same time as you're tasting it with the customer. So it does mean frequently in our yeah. business that we're tasting, retasting the same cheese. I do that multi- a lot, multiple times. I encourage that as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the best way um, for them to. to I think I mean I think that what unfortunately happens is you have shopkeepers or owners or managers. A lot of times I think what happens in in the United States um, 
but it's happening less. But what I've seen happen um, is that you know the managers are um, the managers and the customers are a mindset of like, holy fuck! I just like I just saw this guy like stick a piece of cheese in his mouth, like you know at the same time he's like eating while he's while he's waiting on mm-hmm. someone, mm-hmm. and that is a culture that exists mm-hmm. in. Uh, in a lot of uh, grocery stores here, yeah, yeah. especially, you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, those same managers and customers are totally okay with that person wearing a pair of gloves and making them a sandwich mm. and then handling dirty money yeah, yeah, and yeah. like wiping the back of their head yeah, yeah, yeah. because the gloves are on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so we do that as well. Um, but here in America, and I think everywhere, the story is part of it. And I want to know your opinion, like how the lore and the story. Um, because cheesemongery has a lot of lore these days. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot. There's there's always been stories and lore that I that I personally enjoyed and maybe um, that hooked me in the beginning. But um, how effective of a tool is that um, selling cheese for you and your people in your mind? Uh, I think it can. Be, I think it can be useful. Um, I, I think that uh, if it comes. If you if the if the story or the law yeah. um, comes ahead of understanding how the cheese tastes today, and in and often that can be the case, then I think um, you know then I think that's not particularly instructive for the customer because you know they might want to you know it might be interesting for them to know that you know uh, old Mrs. Scruttox made this you know Ooh, made, ma- made this Lancashire made this Lancashire <laughs> cheese with. You know, um, you know, with the milk from one cow, you know, right. on a windswept hill somewhere yeah. in northwest of England, and it all sounds very romantic. Well, when you say it, it does. But but, but ultimately, um, how does it taste? Right. So I think that there is a place for animating, um, uh, and you know, and creating a little, a li- a, you know, a little bit of, um, uh, um, you know, uh, interest and theatre around the cheese. I think so too. But, but not. But not if you're going to use it just as the only hook that you have to sell the cheese. And the problem also with that phenomenon is that um, the these stories often get handed down from one generate one monger to the next, or one right. generation among us right. to the next. And it, you know, rather like a Chinese whisper, um, you know what was you know what was old Mrs. Scruttock's yeah um, you know goat's milk logs was old Mrs. Buttocks or you know goat's milk uh, logs Mrs. Buttocks because, because that's what that's what I'm that's what can happen you so know, it's a game of telephone so, because then it well, misinformation well, then, gets it, then it becomes bullshit I think yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. Um, that's my problem with it so long if it's if it's managed that's great but if the if the if the cheese if the cheesemonger is kind of depending on uh, on a story to sell the cheese then then that's what I'm wary of so I'm not against it I just I just I just want to make sure that um, you know that the that the that there's a verification going on sure. about what's being communicated but there's a different the, the culture in in for myself I was I was lucky when I started to become a cheesemonger there were few of us yeah. you know so I had to like the cheese to, yeah, you know yeah, to, exactly I, um, you know that when I got a visit from a person like you mm. um, who brought a lovely cheese mo- cheese maker along with them you know yeah. I was eating the cheese yeah, yeah. Uh, the cheese maker um, at that time was usually you know our plans were to go out and get loaded afterwards mm-hmm. and I heard a lot of stories mm-hmm. and I used yeah, a lot yeah, of those yeah, stories yeah. to sell a lot of cheese absolutely and it got me in in the very yeah, yeah. beginning yeah um, and it also helped me uh, to, to differentiate between cheeses for a lot of customers mm-hmm. and be like so what is that? Um, what is that? Jim's cheese. We're like, well, Jim's a crazy fucker. Mm-mm. I mean, and I met him last week. Mm-mm. You know, but but um, that game of telephone happens here more yeah, yeah, yeah. because I think what happens here um, is the idea of um, 
you buy the idea that you buy cheese here, or and I think it happens less, or, or it's something that you and I have discussed, mm. and I like to change is mm. that um, people buy cheese for different reasons here, mm-hmm. or they did in, in my youth. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. When they came into Dean DeLuca to buy some cheese, they were buying a story to tell mm. their friends. Yeah, yeah. They weren't buying a big piece of Cheshire that was going to sustain them for yeah. any period of time. Absolutely. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think. And uh, you would agree with me that a company like the Neils Yard Dairy, you you really want to push the importance of cheese. And I know you, your mm-hmm. agenda personally mm-hmm. of sustenance yeah, yeah. versus um, maybe like a boutique experience. Yeah, yeah. Right? Sus- I mean, well, yeah I, yeah, I sort of refer to it as, you know, a sustenance over satiation. You know, right. I, I like cheeses that, uh, that's just my personal bent, but I do like cheeses that are, um, you know, uh, cheeses that I can eat a lot of that that that, 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 that you know people f- forget that cheese is a, you know it's a food it's not yeah. a, as you say you refer to a lot of cheeses these days are sort of you know boutique it's weird like they are they are it's just I mean I think that price has a lot to do with that mm. but but um, I think the way people eat the way they grow up mm. uh, eating and what they're taught mm. makes it different and and cheesemongery mm. in a place where you are they say rural or semi-rural where I'm from mm. I didn't even have a cheese shop yeah, you yeah, know yeah, yeah. Um, I used to go to one farm and put some money in a fucking coffee can mm. you know mm. and take cheese out of a refrigerator mm. you know I don't know if that was sustaining us but I know I like to have it around the house yeah, yeah, yeah. you know yeah, yeah. Um, cheesemongery for me uh, when well, it became a cheesemonger for me and even in, in Boston I probably had 30, 40 cheeses mm. um, was that experience mm-hmm. it was yeah. You know, I, these needed to be dainty and and uh, and of a very certain nature for me to purchase them yeah. from you. Yeah, and I feel like the Neil's Yard there when I've been in there and that vibe in that shop is like we've got big cheeses, want big piles of cheese. We want you to buy big slabs of cheese yeah, yeah, yeah. and we want you to eat them mm. as opposed to like, you know, banter about them. Um, I think I think that maybe, I think one of the key points. Whether you, um, um, you know, whether you are, whether you have got, a, you're familiar with the cheeses that you have to sell that day yeah. by tasting them, or, or whether you need to use a story, or you have a story to tell yeah. about the cheeses, or a, or a bit of both. Um, what I think is important to understand about either of those yeah. is that um, it enables the cheesemonger to be more confident about right. the cheese they have to sell today. Right. So uh, I refer to that as selling on the front foot. So yeah. if you have a cheesemonger that understands what he or she have got to sell today and feel good about it, feel positive about it, yeah. um, then that will create an energy that's positive that the, that the, that the consumer, the customer, will, will feed off. And that's, is that what the number one trust builder between you and your customers are at that shop? That's the number one way you, you get them to trust you, right? To come I, I, back well, in? They, 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 trust, they trust us if we, if we lead them to something that... That, that we that we we're receptive to what they have to say. We're listening to what they have to say in terms of what they're asking for, and then we supply them with tastes of cheese that lead them to the to the to the cheese that they leave with. So that I remember when I first visited the shop in the very early days before even working there, I would know that I had been led to to come to a, uh, arrive at a selection of cheeses that were in my bag, and I was so excited about what I bought because I was yeah. so confident that I'd got cheeses that I was really. I knew were really good and really, um, I was going to be really happy about eating yeah, later yeah, on. Yeah. But I would be at them in. I would be into that into that bag on the tube before I even got home. Sure. So excited was I. That's great. Um, but I think that. But but the, one of the reasons we, you know, the one of the reasons um, I think you know this makes you an effective cheesemonger is that um, whether it's 
understanding that cheese and getting that right cheese to the right customer or um, whether it's also embellishing that with a, with a, with a, with a bit of information, which, uh, a bit of theatre, which makes that even, an even more entertaining experience for the customer. Not, both of those are good things. The first one, I think, really is the work. I think the, 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 the storytelling helps the work. But the work has but, to be but, there. But I think that the work is actually tasting and understanding yeah, how I that agree. cheese is today. And the work is also listening to the customer mm. and, and, and understanding from them after that first taste Mm. they seem to react in a way that suggested to me that that was a bit strong so the next cheese that I'm going to taste them on is going to be maybe a couple of notches down in terms of, in terms of personality and strength Certainly. that's the work but I think if, if, the, if the cheesemonger has got, um, you know, has, has, has got that confidence that they really know how the cheese on their cheese counter tastes today they will sell it on the front foot they will step forward into the interaction they'll step forward into the conversation confident that they know how that cheese tastes, confident they know that that cheese better than their customer and that they are in a position to lead their customer to the right cheese. If they don't have that confidence, and sometimes they don't have that confidence because they're new to, well, the, to yeah. the work, and sometimes sure. they might not have that confidence because they actually haven't tasted the cheese, the customer is going to feed off that. Yeah, and they'll know. The, they'll know. The customer, yeah, like an animal, will sense yeah, the fear. that fear. I, and that's the way I do it, too. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm in charge here. Mm, yeah. uh, I like to tell people what to buy. Um, but it's often because I've eaten so much before they've already come here. It's like that, that little selection. But I'll have to pull you up on something you just said. Yeah. So you said, I like to tell people what they like, what they should buy. <laughs> now, the I thing, do. The, no, no, but the thing about that is that um, it's very good to know how you think, what you think they should buy and yeah. what you think tastes best. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting because recently I had a conversation with the founder of our organization about this very subject of selling from the front foot. And, and he came back to me and said, because um, he he's always likes to fight the opposite argument. Um, Contrarian? Could very, no, not, that's maybe too strong. He's devil's just, advocate. Devil's advocate is sure, more sure. like it. And so um, he said, we always actually sold from the back foot. <laughs> which had me on the back foot uh, and um, gotcha. what, what yes and no because it's true that um, you know he, he was he was in agreement that um, you know it was our job to find find what we thought was the best cheese and give it to the customer to right, taste right but actually so that's that's the reaching out um, over the counter and, and communicating to the customer with a taste of cheese but actually he said um, we also what it was our it, it was our work to um, to to listen and check with the customer that what they were tasting was actually what they wanted. So you that know, is true. And and so you need to check. So you, you think you have a really good cheese, but then you need to check that actually that it is a good cheese. Because sometimes either what you think is not as good as you thought it was. Right. Maybe this was a not quite as good a batch of Montgomery's as the batch the customer bought three weeks ago. Um, or maybe they just want something completely different. Well, I think so that not, not, not so not but not to be so not to be so. Not to be so confident that you, um, you know, that you that you um, that you're going to sell a customer. You don't want to cheese. bully them into buying something exactly. that they don't want. Exactly. I like to nudge them into what I think they should buy, only because I have tasted a lot, and I'm guilty too. I ask you one quick question. We got to take a break, yeah. and we're going to move on to another section. Yeah. Um, what would you say, just just off the cuff? Um, 
percentage of locals to tourists in your shop in London? Yeah. What would you say the percentage uh, is? In one in in one shop, um, yeah. the, the shop which has the higher percentage of tourists would be Covent Garden, probably about fifteen percent of tourists. Wow. So yeah. you get 60, most, and most of them are American. Sixty-five percent locals at that shop. No, 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 no. Fifteen percent locals. Fifteen percent tourists. Yeah. Eighty-five. Eighty-five percent locals. Yeah. I was just Better questioning long you on that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah we well, should. It sucked. <laughs> <laughs> so um, hang out with us for a second. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk to Jason a little bit more about uh, curating his selection of cheese at the Essex Cheese Company. Hold on. Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious fresh cheese curds, or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chirchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com, and as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. Hello and welcome back to Cutting the Curd in the Heritage Radio Network. We're here with cheese legend Jason Hines, who was talking to us about uh, being an effective cheesemonger um, and a conversation I'd love to have with Jason always. I um, wanted to take a, a step back from that, but not totally back from that, and uh, talk about a curating a cheese selection in a shorter segment we're going to run here. Um, on our first episode together, we talked about Essex Street Cheese Company, of which I was the first employee, and I'm very proud of that. Um, congrats on your 10-year anniversary, by the way. Thank you. Um, I'm really glad I didn't ruin the company. <laughs> <laughs> to our listeners, definitely look at episode uh, number 181 if you haven't. Um, to that effect, there was a beauty to the simplicity of selling one cheese, uh, Conte, and knowing that cheese well, understanding how the flavor varied, and selling the very best examples of that one cheese. Um, but it goes against, you know, the more prominent philosophy to diversify your offerings so that you capture a larger market. And you had to do that. We could not exist in the Essex market on one cheese one alone. One cheese alone, that's right. Um, yeah. Although I think it would have been the coolest thing in the history of time if we could have. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, so I wanted, I wanted you to tell me, because you grew your selection um, on a wholesale level. We're not going to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, you added some other cheeses, Parmigiano, Manchego, yeah, yeah, yeah. some Gouda, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, from fantastic people, some mm. of the best of the best. Mm. Um, and I love all those folks mm. and their cheese, and I carry it here. Yeah. Um, but I want you to tell me more about your philosophy on composing the ideal cheese selection, curating it for a retail counter. Yeah. Based on the, what you had to do, kind of for your uh, for the growth you you made at, at Essex. Yeah. Well, I think that um, you know curating a selection um, is is first of all you know governed by making sure that you have the categories well represented. For right. a, we're talking about a retail counter here. Yeah. And so. Um, uh, and very often, and certainly when I visit lots of cheese shops that we sell to, and I look at the range of cheese that they have in their counters, um, the, categor- the, ca- the, the, the number of... Um, the num- internationally? But the same trends apply irrespective of what country you're in, yeah, generally. Yeah, sure. And so what you tend to see is that certain categories are way overloaded yeah. and others are appropriately loaded yeah um and uh, the exercise really is to is to on a piece of paper just put the heading of all the categories so you've got you know cow's milk mold ripened cow's milk washed rind cheddar in the british selection you'd have territorial um blue cow's milk right uh, and so on you'll probably find there's 10, 11, 12, 13 headings, categories. Certainly. Um, and then below that, you put the types. And in my experience, there was a, you know, just not too long ago, I was working very closely with a company that we sell cheese to in London, quite a well-known food hall called Selfridges. Yeah. Um, good customer of ours. And they, um, uh, we made the decision to, um, to, to reduce the, the selection in their counter from 144 I wanted to cut it in half right they felt it was a bit too draconian and in the end we went down from about 100 well from 144 to about 80 because I felt very clearly that mongers were spending so much time scraping cheese yeah and so much time looking down you know they have rules and regulations in um, larger companies like that um where shelf <coughs> use by dates and such well, are, 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 you know, a, a, a basically think a part of the working life, um, and so um, because the cheeses were spending too much time in the case and not turning quickly enough, right. the cheesemongers were spending. I noticed most of the time looking into the counter right. at what needed to be either moved on, reduced, scraped, or and that's uh, brutal. And, and and the problem with that is that. Um, the, 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 cheese qu- the cheese quality was um, diminishing all the time because right. the cheese was not being sold. Its quality up. was d- diminishing. And not only that, it seemed to me that people were spending all their time with their heads in the counter, not looking out of the counter at customers right. to attend to what they needed. Right. And so the theory was, and we put it into action, and it did, it did actually pay off, was that um, uh, if we were to have... Obviously, the number of categories remains the same, and they were covered. We still had good representation in each of those categories, right. but the number were reduced in some cases dramatically. And the ca- the, the, the category um, that was always was generally overloaded was the mold ripened cow's milk Why category. Why do you think that is? I think people just you know I think it's 
Um, well, why so, do things get overloaded like that? Because like, because because people um, you know people often respond to the to the demands of their customers, or they get excited about something new. It has they, to be new. They they have it's you know it's a it's a it's a malady. Yeah, it uh, is. It's a malady, and it's all. I'm all for bringing new things in. Yeah. But I do think if a new thing comes in, another thing should go out. Um, right. Be, but that tends not to be the case it, it tends you know cheese curating a cheese selection tends not to be a revolving door no, it, it tends a balloon yeah it is exactly a balloon and i think that um um the prob- if it's not attended to if you don't move cheeses out at the same re- rate that you bring new ones in the reality is unless you have stupendously increasingly far- grow- fast growing sales yeah um to accommodate this increasing range that you're putting into that your counter its own problem i can tell you that for a fact but but i understand where you mean yeah. so yeah. so i think the the inevitable consequence or outcome is that the cheese quality is going right. is going to go down and then you're not you're not serving the needs of your customers i agree uh, so have what you need and not necessarily what you want is Correct. Like, is what yeah. i think you're saying yeah. and i believe in it although i am a spendthrift yeah. as a purchaser um, I do want new things, but I don't want them for the sake of being new. Yeah. What happens in America a lot mm. um, is people want things that are local. Mm. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and they well, they want things that are local, mm. but they also want things that no one else has. Yeah. You know, and we have this thing here: where it has to be local, has to be where no one else mm. has. Mm. Um, I don't think you and your cheese shop have the opportunity to just start picking up local cheeses unless they're like being made in the tube, like down, you know, like below the shop. Right? I mean, you're traveling thousands of miles to get your cheese, right? Yeah. yeah. So you you can manage that sixty sixty cheeses, yeah. you say, in the, in the Neil's Yard Dairy, yeah, and they become classics. Yeah. You know, I think that what happens in America is it becomes like, uh, you know, and. Uh, you're still selling Parmigiano? It's like, yeah. well, of course I'm fucking still selling <laughs> Parmigiano. What's wrong with you, yeah, man? Yeah. Right? You know? And I think that that also speaks to um, the difference. What I thought was really interesting that you mentioned before were, was work versus tasks. tasks. Yeah. Because if work is to, sell, is to sell the cheese and to taste the cheese, yeah. but a task is to clean the cheese, yeah. and you're just inundated with all of these tasks, mm. you know, mm. um, you know, you're always doing that, and you're not. You're not. You're not mongering cheese. Or, or in the case that I gave before, a task would be go through your counter, look at the use-by dates. Yes. Uh, you know, or, or temperatures. All these kinds yes. of tasks are all there to be done. We have to do that. We, you know, I mean, use-by dates on cheese, and that's a whole other show yeah. that I would love to do with you, mm-hmm. and uh, probably lose my job, and uh, <laughs> no one ever will let. But. But are, are brutal. I yeah. mean, they're very brutal and they're very misleading. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you have to kind of mess with them. But they're a necessary evil in our world. Yeah, you know? yeah. I um, agree. But all of that is all of that's true. You know? I mean, is it a big? Do you find that the cheesemongers, because you, the, the quality of cheesemonger you put out yeah. at the Neil's Yard Dairy? Um, I mean, do you find that because the selection is so focused? That they're more focused. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think that. Um, for first of all, they're focused because they're able to. Um, you know, as we said at the top of the show, they're able to taste and retaste on a regular basis all the cheeses they have to sell and get around that selection. If I had to taste 250 cheeses every morning, I'd soon lose the appetite to become a cheesemonger. Right. So, so, um, but not only that, the cheeses. Uh, you know, I. You know, I. We look forward to tasting those cheeses because we also know that generally they're turning at such a lick. Yeah, that the quality of them is actually very good. Right. Not always. Definitely not always. We're yeah, not perfect. Yeah, there's no perfect. But world. but 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 the cheese is selling fast enough 
because we haven't overloaded right. the, the we haven't when we've curated the selection we haven't overloaded that selection yeah. um, and therefore by and large the cheese is turning at a rate where what we're doing is we put the cheese on the counter we yeah. think it, we think it's a good cheese <coughs> by tasting it in the morning not only are we understanding how the cheese tastes but we're also confirming for ourselves that the quality of the cheese is where we want right actually is this you know it has this cheese been you know has this cheese been stick, uh, kicking around the shop for three or four days right cut yeah uh, and um, would have would have you know would have benefited from being sold more quickly ask the question actually is this cheese should we re- should we rest this cheese for a little bit right. you know is it is it the summer and perhaps this is the right time to be sent should we just take it out get the, it out. Get it out. Take it out right. of the lineup for a little right. bit. Maybe reintroduce it later on. Yeah. So then it's, when you do bring it back later on, it's, it is almost like introducing a new cheese. It isn't because right. it's always part of your lineup. But be thinking more strategically about working with the lineup that you've got rather than simply always adding something. And then, and I think um, when you talk about seasonality, I, I feel like uh, we, we get obsessed with the seasonality of the cheese, but we forget about the seasons that are, are around us mm. and that the climate of our shop changes yeah. um, in the summer, you yeah. know, um, and that we may have to shrink the selection, yeah. you know. Um, and and I think all of that goes into the into the art of mongery, mm. you know, to explain to people, like, no, I, the, we, we just don't have that in August. It's 102 yeah, yeah. degrees, so, you know, and, and Fahrenheit out there. And also to go back to you know the storytelling that we again we talked about at the right. top of the show when you mentioned seasonality that's a really easy uh, as you did just I now feel like it's a trap that's a that's a that's a it's a very it's a very easy thing to hang your hat on a it lot really of people is. a lot of people are very very preoccupied with seasonality um, it's not so relevant with British cheese because it rains all the time and there's not much variation yes, between does. the summer and the winter right. so it's not so relevant for us anyway but actually. Um, you know, you can have a greater variation. I mean, I guess the point about seasonality is the variation that it causes in the cheese that, that um, that's that's available to sell. Um, so, you know, of course, if you buy, uh, you know, you buy a Conte that's made in the summer versus the winter, it'll be a different colour, um, and you know, it maybe won't be quite as complex. That's you know generally the case. Um, but the vari- the difference, you know, um, between one and the other might not be enormous right. um, in terms of quality. Um, you can have much greater variation, um, uh, you know, in the cheese from one cheese shop to the next, according to how you handle it, right. according to how you, according according to you know the how you give the taste. You know, if I give a little a little sliver of Cheshire to a customer, um, that's sto- a piece of Cheshire that's stone cold, right. uh, or I give a piece of Cheshire that's a chunk, which is yeah. much easier to taste at the right temperature. That seasonality, if you like, from one type of cheese and the other, that variation between one, the, f- the, 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 you know, the, the flaky um, cold piece and the right. chunky, appropriately, um, you know, cheese at the appropriate temperature, is a much more relevant um, variation as far as the cheesemonger and the what, than, 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 than what exactly yeah, came out of the end. Correct, correct. And I think that's something that, so, you know, that, that's, in, that's, is that? that's in the control of the cheesemonger to be able to, to make sure that the cheese is sold at the right, you know, is, is, is tasted at the right but, temperature. But, but let me, now, yeah. now if you, or do you feel at all responsible when, it, because you must go into shops that have Cheshire that yeah. are sold that way, yeah. do you, do you, feel at all responsible for that you know what I mean these are responsible you sell them the cheese do you explain to them uh, I think like, no I think I, I think it's absolutely our responsibility to point out to the to a, to a shopkeeper that 
um, you know, is perhaps not doing themselves a favour by ser- by serving the. Ch- it might be that they serve one particular cheese using a plane, right. but actually to use a plane on a Cheshire is not doing that. You're not doing the Cheshire, not doing the Cheshire any favours or the sales of the Cheshire any favours because it right. doesn't taste properly. Right. Doesn't 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 taste as it should. Right. Um, and so, if we were to if we were to not raise that with the cheesemonger, yeah. then um, we're not giving them the tools to do a better job selling that particular cheese. So it's absolutely essential that we you know that we point that out. And when we do, um, you know, it's always well received. I like that. I think that that's the next level. I think that what I've seen in cheesemongery um, is really interesting. Um, I, I, I love stories. I mean, I sit here and talk to you. Mm. I do this. I, I love to talk mm. and I love to tell stories and mm. to hear them. Mm. Um, and, uh, and they're very much a part of why um, I loved cheese because, and why I still do. Mm. Um, but the aspects of being a cheesemonger were something I respected from the very beginning yeah. um, because I knew there, there was no support around me. If I didn't learn how to handle yeah, the yeah, product, yeah, yeah. I no longer was paid. Yeah, yeah. So I needed that. Yeah. So, but when I look at my world around me now, I see a lot of mongers. I see different sects. It's mm-hmm. like a religious sects of mongery that go mm-hmm. on. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have the zealots. You got the you got the the people who only go to church on Christmas cheese mongers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that. You've got yeah. all of those people. So maybe our next uh, our next evolution um, is to teach us what to buy, not. Um, as the cheesemonger, but as the as the curator, do you yeah, know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, could you picture like another another cheesemonger invitational, but shop curating? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely right. Like you know, like mm. you you get those guys together. Right? It's like all right, now we, we taught you how to taste, and touch, and feel. Mm-hmm. Now we teach you how to build the whole goddamn yeah, thing. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. You think we can get there? hundred percent. Yeah, me too. And uh, hopefully, I'll be uh, I'll be right there with you. Uh, you know, complaining the entire way. <laughs> I want to do, um, just to be play devil's advocate just a little bit, ask you one last question before sure. we go, um, because I get so little time with you, uh, and, uh, and I like to talk to you, Jay. Um, so sometimes being a visionary means, uh, you know, means being economically unsuccessful for a while before the market appreciates the value proposition of a visionary company. Cheese companies especially mm-hmm. go through this, I feel like. Uh, what advice do you have to folks uh, who are staying true to their vision? Even when the market around them is telling them they should stock bad commodity cheese. Um, well, I think it's easy to stock bad commodity cheese. I think equally, you know, the, the other thing that's difficult for, for people that are starting out is that um, they don't have a high. They don't, there's not a lot of people know about. Them, not a lot of people visit them, and they have competition. Um, and I think that um, uh, you have to stick to your principles. You have to, you know, it, it, you have to stick to, um, you know, the, the basics of. Good quality cheese and good quality service. I know that's such a that I know that's such a um, you know an obvious thing to say. Yeah, but, but it's not but, done but, all the but, time. But 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 and it's a very difficult thing to um, you know to stick to, particularly in the early days when you're when you're you know you know there's a, there's there's only you know three three customers come in on a Monday afternoon. Um, but ultimately, if the cheese is really good, um, they will come. And this is you know we've we've. You know, we've seen this in 37, <coughs> Niels, 37 years of Niels Yard Dairy. Yeah. We've always, you know, currently we have a, uh, uh, it's not a third shop, it's kind of an outlet which is near where we mature the cheese, where we mature the cheese in East London. It's only open on a Saturday. It's behind a pretty big project, um, tucked between a project and a railway line in, a, in sort of tumbleweed alley in a horrible yeah. old 1950s industrial estate. Yeah. Um, there's one or two other small businesses around us, but um, 
it's an incredibly busy five hours that we're open. Why do people come? Because the, the food and the, the, the food that's available and the cheese that's available in that little shop, which is a, which is a, which is, a, is a, an even more finely curated range than the range that we have in our own shops. It's only about twenty cheeses that they sell. It draws them to Tumbleweed Alley. Yeah, and you, you, you've got to, you know, you have to stick to. The, um, the principles of you know this is the best cheese that we can get our hands on yeah. and we're going to really focus on, yeah. on, on on how we how we interact with our customers when we sell that cheese to them and they will come and believe me if you were to see where these uh, where you know where these where these people come from when, uh, when they come to buy the yeah. cheese from us on a Saturday afternoon in East London um, you know you, it gives you faith that yeah. um, stick to those stick to those yep. guns and, and, and the people will buy the cheese that's amazing mm. um, that's the best I, I, I try to do that every day here mm. and then it's not hard because mm. I work for great people but there's always that you know it's always easy to cheap out man Absolutely. so easy but fuck that don't do it nah not no. gonna do it mm. um, so I want to thank you so much um, for, for your time and uh, it's so great to see you um Want to give a quick shout out to CMI winner Najib Shoaf. What Absolutely. a fucking awesome guy! Awesome. Congratulations to you. What a badass job! And I, was, I think he gets a, he, he's he's gonna um, he's gonna come to us for a week to work. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, I was like, uh, I talked to him after that, and uh, I thought he was sick. Uh, and I've, I've had him on the show before. Um, I was I was lucky enough to be a, a judge in the CMI this year. It was like really really amazing to be a part of that. Um, I thought I. You know, I'd understood it in a way that I never did before. Um, and, uh, yeah, rock on to you, Najib. And uh, come and listen to us next week for more Cutting the Curd. Thanks, Jason. Ciao. Until next year. Yeah, brother. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.